You are now listening to Portionality Podcast, a podcast dedicated to faith, culture, and that roller coaster we like to call adulting. I am your host, Portia D. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Portionality Podcast. I'm your host, Portia D. And today on the podcast, I have none other than Elizabeth Pollard, one of my very, 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 very best friends. And we are having a conversation about some stuff, okay? Some stuff we need to have a conversation about. And so you may have heard about uh, an incident, a situation with Sierra in a particular tweet from, uh, in response to a John Gray sermon, a sound bite from a John Gray sermon. So I'll just even put that much out there, but it was problematic and theologically it ruffled my feathers. Um, I will say this. The clip is not new. It's not a new sermon. It, I have seen it before and I said, you know what? Next. And so now, um, this clip has resurfaced because Sierra had tweeted about it with the hashtag level up. And a lot of us are not too happy about this. And so, um, Elizabeth is here to help converse with me on such a topic because we are two clergy women. We are women of the cloth of the Bible. You know, we preach that good news and We've got to talk about this. And so this this episode is going to be all kinds of loaded and all kinds of rich and good. And so welcome to the show, Elizabeth Pollard. Yes. Hey, Liz. Hey, Portia. I'm so glad you're here um, to have this conversation because, you know, this is a mess on so many levels. It's so wrong on so many levels. And granted, uh, Sierra did tweet um, her response into it but you know what um can you just give us some context to this conversation Liz because you're actually the one who was like girl did you see this so go ahead I would be glad to um so I rolled my eyes so hard when I saw her tweet but um you know I was coming home from worship the second service was amazing super high I happened to get on social media when I was trying to like come down from work because Sundays I work for us um, and just, I was scrolling through the timeline and I saw all these people talking about Sierra and some people who were really upset with her because of what she posted. I'm like, what did she post? So I go and I see the video clip and I think her hashtag is what made it even worse. So, um, in the clip, John Gray is telling, I'm assuming a large group of women if we think about the makeup of the church, for real, it's, it's women and then a few men. Um, and so he's talking about single women who are complaining to God about how they worship God and how they're serving and they're still single. And so he goes on to say, basically, you're single because you're operating in the spirit of a girlfriend and not the spirit of a wife. So because you are doing certain things for a man that is not your husband or because you are entertaining certain things or because you have not grown up in yourself, that's why you're still single. So that is the clip. And then she posts it with the hashtag level up. And I was just trying to work through both of those things, considering her personal history and the way that women have come to her rescue through her constant critique, even now that she is married and has a second child 
um, and is happy and living her life, people criticizing her, people bringing up the men that she used to be associated with, people constantly pitting her husband against her son's father. And the way that people valued her and loved her and expressed their love for her on social media when people were trying to say, you're nothing but a single mother, you're nothing but an expletive. And when people were limiting her worth to her ability to get chose by a man and a particular type of man. And so it felt, I want to use another word, but I'll say disappointing (laughs) that after this experience, she would choose to participate in the same kind of marginalization that she experienced by telling other women to level up, telling other women to do better, essentially. If, if you want to get a man like me, if you want this good Christian man who's going to lead you, if you want to have these nice kids, if, if you want these things, you have to do better. You have to change who you are. So that just that wasn't working for me. You know, and that's problematic because, like, the thing is, it's like, level up to what, though, Sierra? Like, you know, you're saying level up, but she really didn't give the context of to what this level up really means. It was kind of just like, here's this clip, level up. It's like, mm. you know, the only thing that I level up in is in games and life and marriage and relationships is not a game. So maybe I was just kind of like, but what are we leveling up to? You know, I level up in Mario. Okay. So, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like that's a game. And so, no, um, you don't level quote unquote level up in, um, in, in this kind of context, but you know, but that's just me, you know, Portia D, you know, having her own little side comments and no girl, we don't level up in that way. Um, and to even think to approach relationships, marriage and things like that, as it is some kind of game that we play, um, and not with sensitivity or even thinking about, you know, why we're, you know, why we're engaging in these uh, conversations or why we're engaging in these relationships. That's what I want to say. Why we're engaging in these relationships. So I don't even think that that language alone, that level up, that doesn't even give a, a accurate depiction of even what um, John Gray is even saying. I don't even think he's trying to say level up, so to speak. But I do think it's problematic that he is, you know, going off on this tangent talking about quote unquote hashtag the spirit of wife and not the spirit of girlfriend. But I'm going to pause, Liz, because I know you got something burning and yearning on your tongue. So I'm going to let you have it. Girl, hey, girl. So I do think that that's what he meant. I think that's exactly what he meant, was that you need to, if you want to be a wife, you need to be a wife even without a husband. Because what he said was, he used the verse, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Out of context. Out of context. So saying, if you are not a wife, that's why you haven't been found yet. And from so many times from the pulpit, we hear these messages about how women need to shapeshift (laughs) and to make themselves more appeasing to men, more pleasing to men. Everything is about the male gaze. Everything is about men's pleasure. Everything is about women changing and adapting themselves so that men are satisfied. Mm-hmm. At no point, and maybe he did in the sermon. I haven't watched it. I just saw the clip in fairness to him. I'm going to go ahead and assume that he did not direct anything to men. And most of the times when we think about purity culture, when we think about this conversation of singleness and this conversation of marriage, and oh, by the way, I hate the ways that we talk about singleness and I hate the ways that we talk about marriage. Everything falls on women and girls. Mm-hmm. 
everything is you need to stop dressing this way. You need to stop speaking this way. You need to start doing this more. So for me, for you to say stop operating in the sphere of a girlfriend implies a deficiency. Implies you are doing something wrong. You you are lacking something. And in order to be a wife, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Now, he didn't get into that. Um, I'm not necessarily... I, 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 I blame her because she posted it. But there are plenty of women like her who subscribe to that kind of bad theology that keeps women bound and that doesn't help them to grow. So while I hope to be somebody's wife, there is no part of me that believes that God put me on this earth to only be somebody's wife. I, I just feel like God has a greater purpose for me. And that's not to say that I don't, my, my parents have been married for 32 years. Amen. I have seen healthy marriage. I have seen mutually supportive partners who show up for one another and love one another. Um, I also have a father who supported my mother while she accepted her call. So I'm a little spoiled. You know, it's a little hard to get, <laughs> it's a little hard to get to me, but, um, I have problems with men who spew this lazy exegesis, this lazy theology for a cheap shout. Hmm. So you're playing on women's guilt. You're playing on women's shame. And the point is, I keep you feeling terrible about yourself and act like I'm encouraging you so that you'll keep coming to church, so that you'll keep serving, so that you'll keep giving all of your time and energy to the church. You may or may not grow closer to Jesus, but at least you're here. And it, and it never works out for them because they spend no time figuring out, okay, so this is who I am as a person. This is what I like to do, whether this is what a wife should do or not. Yeah, girl, I totally feel you on that. And particularly as it pertains to the scripture, which is taken out of context, which many men and women use as a prescription for marriage. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. First of all, you know, it's, it's, that's not what it's talking about. And I think we need to go to the root of biblical marriage, first of all, because biblical marriage in itself isn't even about love. Sorry to, you know, burst that bubble real quick, but it's not even so much about love as much as it is as it's about ownership and property. And so when we hear that and him using this scripture out of context, you saying, oh, well, you need to get the spirit of wife. So I need to get the spirit of being somebody else's property. If I'm going to use it in the exact context of what it's necessarily saying. But my thing is just like, it's just all over the place. And so I don't always necessarily want to use this scripture to say, okay, he who finds a wife is a good thing because the thing isn't necessarily the woman. So the thing is what she's bringing to the table by way of her father. And so he finds a good thing. That thing could be interpreted many ways, but I can tell you one thing, women, we are not things. We are people. So that's problem number one. But, um, you know, that can go in so many different directions. So I personally just kind of struggle with using that scripture as the prescription, a scripture as the prescription for how we should conduct ourselves as women and how we we should allow men to quote unquote choose us and being chosen and being picked like we're in some lineup, you know, because we're not in a lineup, you know, this is not the beauty pageant. Well, you know, mm, that makes me think about the book of Esther. But anyway, um, you know, we're not in this lineup just to be chosen to be picked like, hmm, any, meeny, miny, mo. Oh, I like her. Yeah. So she's the good thing. It's like, but mm, 
is that really what the text is saying? Um, no. So if anybody knows about the book of Proverbs, you know, it's literally a whole bunch of one-liners that can sometimes be disjointed. In some instances, it is very together. Um, in the beginning, everything is very, uh, linear and it's together. But then by the time you get to this chapter, it's just a bunch of little one-liners that are just pe- that me- literally meal piece together that are completely unrelated to one another. And so things, are easily taken out of context and so I think that's one of those things that is taken out of context way too much and we could do an entire show on scriptures that are consistently taken out of context on a daily basis uh hashtag jeremiah 29 uh hello (laughs) but that's another conversation for another day um you know or even things that are just aren't in the bible like uh he'll never put more on me than i can bear like that's That's not not in in the bible that ain't in the text that's not in there all and, over. And you know the thing that bugs me about that we are so unwilling to deal with our culpability and our and the way that we commit sin that we took that verse and completely twisted it that verse is about temptation and how god will give you a way of escape and you won't be tempted beyond what what any other person has been tempted and somehow somebody translated that into god won't put more on you than you can bear that is not that ain't nowhere in the bible the prophets and psalms are evidence enough that God will put more on you than you can bear. Way more. Ask us how we know. (laughs) You know, that was a sidebar. But you know, but that is that is education, you know, for your everyday life. To know that some things are taken way out of context, you know, and just misinterpreted in many ways. But back to this John Gray situation and how we use this scripture, how do how people are moving throughout life thinking that they've gotta be a particular certain way just to find a man. And then even what does that say? to us as women who we've done everything right we followed the book hashtag what the church quote unquote says okay so you went to college right check you got the degree check you get checks because you got a job check you know you own your own car check you know you paying off your loans check your debt is minimal whatever your debt may be you know your debt is paid on time if you got some debt because you know student loans are real you know credit card debt is real you know you got decent credit check you know all these things you know and yet still sometimes the church makes us feel like we're not good enough so case in point elizabeth and i we both have degrees not just you know uh, our undergrad degrees from spelman college yes but also you know we've got master's degrees elizabeth's got a master's degree from emory university by way of candler school of theology i've got a master's degree from yale divinity school so we're popping you know what I'm saying? Liz, we are popping, girl. And so my thing is not and, and then we've got I think we got it going on. So hashtag shameless plug on us. Hey. Um <laughs> you know, but and and but the thing is too, one, I think we're both happy in, you know, where we are in our lives. I mean, everything may not be perfect, but overall we are happy and we have joy and we love the Lord and we've done quote unquote everything right by quote unquote the book, right? But for the most part but at the end of the day it's like okay so what are you trying to say for us who have done what we're supposed to do so I think Sierra is positioning herself in a situation that many of us are not in and trying to use that as a blanket statement for all women you know 
in, in my personal opinion. And that's kind of how I'm interpreting it. What you got and to say? That, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think my issue is marriage is not a prize. And so we set marriage up as like this. This is like the biggest accomplishment that a woman can achieve is if you get somebody to wife you like you do that and you have made it. And while marriage is beautiful, it is problematic for you to put all of your self-worth into this institution. And so your entire self-worth is linked to a man's decision to choose you when in reality that may or may not happen. So I think about the engagement game. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and by is it Joy Marie yep. McKenzie? Yep. And I loved that book. Um, one because you know she's a Christian girl like us, grew up in the church, have have parents who were in ministry. Her mom is um, a bishop, <laughs> right? Mama is a bishop, and she was candid, and she talked about how she dated broadly, and she talked about how um, she spent so much energy trying to get this man to marry her who did not want to marry her, and that once that ended. She spent time figuring out who she was and dating whoever she wanted to date. And now she's in this happy relationship. And I just wish that we preached the same freedom that we preach to men, to women, that you have time to discover yourself, that you can date whoever you want to date. And it doesn't necessarily have to be dating for marriage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, not that you shouldn't date without intention, but I just, we put so much weight into an institution that we do not truly understand right. and that we don't preach well. There are not very many great examples of biblical marriages. That does not mean that marriage is not important. That does not mean that marriage is not a beautiful thing. I just wish that women's worth, particularly Christian women's worth, was not so steeped in whether or not they are a wife because it creates shame in single women. You feel like you have failed. You feel like there is something wrong with you. You feel like you are not giving enough. When in reality, the thing is, God is not a vending machine and God is not a genie. And you can't trick God into giving you a husband. Hello. You can't trick God into giving you a spouse. That is not the condition of this covenant. You are in relationship with God to be in relationship with God. We are also called to be in relationship with other people. But there's no, there's, there's like no thing that like, that's why I, I really, and I almost said the word hate. I really have issue with a lot of these purity ministries and single ministries because they just tap into consumeristic faith in a way that is problematic. You should not be giving your time to church in hopes to get a mate. Hello. That's probably why you haven't found one. Hello. Because God is like, I want to get to know you and you just here to find somebody. Hello. And I just, it's, it's just problematic. It's problematic. And, you know, she posted about how, you know, Sierra, I'm sorry, posted about how she was at her lowest and she was depressed because she was a single mother. And then she started changing her habits and she started growing closer to God and God brought him into her life. And so often we hear that story, right? Even in terms of Heather Lindsay, we hear about this turning story where there is this major point where where behavior is corrected. And then once the behavior was corrected, God rewarded that correction Hmm. with a maze. And here's the problem. There are tons of single clergy women who didn't have that bump in the road. Hello. 
who didn't have that major turning point and still do not have a spouse. So loving Jesus, staying pure, whatever that means, and giving all your time to the church does not guarantee one a spouse. Girl, you are preaching now. And for you to spend all of your energy doing performative religion, because it ain't, it's performative, girl, you there to get a boo. Like, that is what it is. Not growing, not figuring out who you are, not figuring out who you are in God. And that's, that's a, this is a, 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 a tangent, but the whole singleness conversation. Mm Mm-hmm. You're not single, girl. You're just living your life. Like, like you're not biding your time until you're married. Mm-hmm. Figure out who God has divinely purposed and created you to be and be that person. And I guarantee you, a mate will be more attracted to the fact that you are being your authentic self than you changing and, and trying on different, diff, di- different identities in order to get somebody. Then you be married and they find out who you really are and you divorce. So, well... Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that's real. And I think singleness is not some disease. And I'm glad you brought that the singleness piece up. It's not some disease. It's not some curse. It's not something, you know, some spell that's waiting to be broken. It's not. Like, it's a season. Hello, we're all single until we have the legal status of marriage. So, you can guarantee that we're all going to be single at some point. Some people, and it may be even single again. Because why? Sometimes marriages end in divorce and sometimes marriages end because the spouse has passed on you know and you're single again your status has now changed once again and so singleness is not something that we need to fear it's something that we can embrace and when I started embracing my singleness and this is me being transparent I decided and I have witnessed for myself the wonderful person that I am deep down. I had a wonderful relationship with God and God tested me to see how much was I really about. Like, okay, girl, it's me and you. Like we about this call and we about to do this work. And I love the person I'm becoming. And now I'm even in the place um, in this season of my life where I'm like, I like it. Like, I love it. Like I love coming home, you know, and all the food is in the fridge. Um, I ain't got to worry about reporting to nobody where I'm at because I probably wouldn't anyway. Um, I love the fact that I ain't got to fight for nobody's remote control. I can watch what I want to watch when I want to watch it. You know, I don't got to clean up behind nobody. You know, it's not that I would be because I feel like you got two hands clean. Okay. You got two hands fixed your plate. That's just me. But you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> And if, if the spirit of wife is fixing your plate and cleaning up behind you, then I don't want that because because I, you know. I don't even know what the spirit of wife is, but I'm just saying because it doesn't exist. But I'm just saying. What is it? And that's my other issue. Why are you talking about spirit of a spirit of a wife and not the Holy Spirit? Tell Hello. me how to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Tell me how to grow in faith. Hello. We you spend all this work doing doing better and, and bettering yourself and, and, and becoming almost cuss, darn near perfect. <laughs> and yet the men in the congregation have not been taught to do any self-work. Hello. So we're preparing ourselves for who exactly? Because if I've done all of this work, I hardly believe that God's desire is for me to be with somebody who is broken and who has done no work. Hmm. 
Because we so see the men that come to church. Set, what are we setting people up for? That That is my issue. What are we setting people up for? And why are we not viewing women holistically as real people with feelings and emotions and thoughts? Why are we not doing that? It's really frustrating. And it's just un- the whole spirit of wife thing. Like, how how is... What does that look like? What is that attainable? And, you know, we we make the jokes about fixing the plate. I don't, my thing is this. If that is your relationship with your mate, if that is how you choose to express love, I think that that is a beautiful thing. If, if that is, if you have an understanding that is what you do in your relationship, that's fine. No critique here. That That's how you choose to live your life. I think that that's wonderful. I also think that when you love somebody, you're willing to do certain things for them that you may not do for other people. Absolutely. So maybe that's what he was talking about in terms of operating as a spirit wife. But my thing is this, why am I operating as a wife and I'm not one? Like, huh? And that's the thing I'm talking about. If I'm not one. Come on, somebody. I had to literally have this conversation in a past relationship. You know, it's like, Portia, why don't you do? Why don't you do? Why don't you do? But it's like, but I'm not going to do something that I am not. And I'm not going to operate in a role that I do not occupy. And especially if I'm not a title holder of even the basic title of girlfriend, because, you know, situationships are real. So, we, you know, okay. okay. so I don't think you should be expecting anything else more than what you have uh, set the boundaries and the terms to be. Okay. But anyway, that's a whole nother situation. So which brings me to say one thing that I really pray we can get to a place of is for men hmm, to stop telling women how we should act, how we should conduct ourselves. You know, it's not just John Gray. It's several other preachers. You know, it's several other men who have written books and now have had multi-million dollar uh, brands because they told women how to act and how to conduct themselves over a certain period of time in the hopes that they will catch a man. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, this is becoming problematic. It's all over our culture where men want to tell women how to act without even acknowledging the fact that if a man, a man really wants to invest in a woman and vice versa, if a woman really wants to invest in a man, we will do it when we feel like it. So there's not any certain things that you can do to convince somebody of your worth and vice versa. We shouldn't have to convince people that we are relationship material and or whatever that means, relationship material. And even, you know, men shouldn't have to jump through hula hoops to quote unquote convince us that he's perfect and he's the one. I feel like you just kind of understand that over time. But that's just also my personal view, you know, and everybody kind of views that differently. And that's fine, you know. And but I do think that we need to men just need to be a little bit more mindful of what they tell us, particularly as it relates to the church, because men out here are sexist, not all men, but some men, you know, and want to be out here in the spirit of patriarchy. Liz and I we have experienced several incidents of patriarchy that, you know, men need to check themselves. And so sometimes I see some of the behavior of men and I'm like, y'all make me not want to be married and y'all I won't marry you Negro, no way. <laughs> the way you acting is not very reflective of the God I serve anyway with your comments and with your inconsistencies. So it's kind of like, you and know. Speaking, sorry. No, no, go ahead. And to those who are listening, this is how we talk. So forgive me, I just think I'm talking to my friend. But um, 
That's the other thing. Any wife as opposed to yours. Why are you grooming me to be your mate? And what makes you think that I want to be linked to a man like you anyway? The arrogance is what kills me every time. So you and I are not a match. Fine. But because we are not compatible, why then do I need to shape shift and change myself for you? And we are not going to be together. Because what you won't deal with, another man will. Like, I don't. Hello. Because we are are created for somebody's palate, okay? And somebody's created for my palate, you know? And, you know, I can't stand when men are so arrogant to think that, you know, we have to be specifically their taste or their type. Like, no. And, you know, or they want to be like, well, you're not going to find nobody better than me. It's like, (laughs) bloop. I have been created for somebody who desires somebody who's just as pushy, you know, who's just as harsh. Well, I'm not that way. I can be who's just as frank, who's just as honest. I should say honest. It's all in love. Right. Or, you know, who's just as (laughs) adventurous and, you know, sensitive and all this great stuff, you know, in life. And, you know, I just men say some crazy off the wall things and. You know, one of those off the wall things is like the lies that they tell to women is, well, you'll never find anything better or you're never going, you know, I'm, you know, the end all be all. It's like, mm, last time I checked, you know, there is multiple fish in the sea. But in any case, um, the misogynist things that men say to women, uh, which is problematic. So Liz, you got a story about some of these things that these men just be out here trying to tell us or, or do to us or, you know, or whatever. Have you got one of them stories? Because, you know, John Gray, you know, him and his story is quite misogynistic and it's not okay on any level. And so you got a story? I have several. Okay. How much time you got? I got plenty. I am the keeper of time today. So I'll I'll talk about it in the context of women in ministry, um, which is just a tricky thing because men have no idea what to do with us, especially when they're attracted to you. (laughs) So it's this weird thing of I know she has spiritual authority. I know that she's a gifted preacher. I know that she has pastoral gifts, but I'm still sexually attracted to her. So I have to reconcile these two things in my mind. And so I'm, And my attempt to reconcile, and this is me giving the benefit of the doubt, I'm going to say something really stupid to her. So, I remember there was this one instance where this guy um, who I met at a conference, um, and he, in fairness to him, he gave me a disclaimer. But he was like, this is going to be the most sexist and misogynistic thing I could probably ever say. And so that then and there should have been a clue. You probably don't need to hear this girl, but I was intrigued. Um, so I was like, okay. And he said, I could never date somebody who preaches better than me. Mm. And I was like, what? So then I went on to talk about how preaching is not a competition and how we need to embrace our own unique gifts and how he shouldn't be intimidated by women who are gifted. And he didn't respond too well to that. And so his, his decision was to cut me, um, or attempt to anyway, and to, and to be clear um, and telling me he wasn't intimidated by me. He didn't find me intimidating. That was just his blanket statement. So that's all good. Story number two. So there was um, a guy that I was working with uh, in my denomination. Um, and so 
we both do youth ministry things. And so he um, took me out to lunch and we were talking about youth ministry and, and out of, it's always interesting what men are willing to confess when you don't ask, um, <laughs> <laughs> like at all. So he was talking about how he doesn't like when women wear pants because he feels like that's masculine. And he said the statement, you know, show a little leg. And so I'm looking at him like, okay, so were you ever interested in talking about youth ministry with me? Or did you like, what is, what is, we have taken a turn. And so he has repeatedly said some like off things to me, some of which border and and walk right up onto sexual harassment. And so I've had to have a conversation with him. And since then he's chilled. But but it's interesting to me how comfortable men feel critiquing women's bodies and, and talking about their body parts and reducing them to body parts and how you're okay with me being in the pulpit as long as my body is still pleasing to you. So you don't want me to wear pants because pants are too masculine. But if I don't wear a lap cloth, you're tempted. So either way, I have to, again, change something physical about myself so that you are comfortable. That's story number two. Shall we move on to story number three? Go ahead. (laughs) Okay, so story number three. So I had preached the the Sunday of King weekend at my church, um, and and this was last year. And I we had just gotten back from a, mission, a youth mission trip to South Africa. The spirit was high, and my pastor was like, "So you preaching, right?" And I was like, "Okay, fine. Just got back, jet lag, but okay." Um, and so God moved, and so the next day um, on MLK Day we have a, a worship service and we give out community awards. And so they gave out this community award to this young man who um, I believe was still either in college or graduate. So he went up, I was talking to him and I congratulated him. And he was like, do you know where the young woman was who preached yesterday? And I was like, it's me. But in fairness to him, my hair was out. My, I had a fro and then my hair was up. And apparently I looked very different. I can understand that. And so he was like, oh, okay. Um, and he was like, you know, your sermon was awesome and you know it really made me want to get involved and I've been coming to this church and I really like what I'm hearing and he was like you know I grew up in a church where women weren't affirmed in ministry but I hear you and some things are changing and I was like that's great so then he says to me so what made you a preacher and I said well God made me a preacher God is the one who makes the call and then humans affirm that call hopefully I said but God is the one who made me a preacher. And so he made a face like, yeah, that's not good enough. And then he he proceeded to say, but what hermeneutical evidence do you have that you should be a preacher? And I thought to myself, other than the spirit of God, like that's not good enough. And so then I have to go through this whole uh, historical thing with him and talking about scripture so that he gets it. And I had to fight the urge to be pet because I was like, what arrogance, like, like how you heard me preach, you heard the spirit of God move, but that wasn't good enough because in your mind, I am doing something that is only reserved for men. And even after you witnessed it for yourself, you still can't make the switch to the point where I am the one who has the spiritual authority in this space in terms of being a clergy person. But I still have to explain myself to you so that you will trust the authority that you witnessed on your own. So I was patient and I was loving and I was kind because, you know, as a woman in ministry, you have to be careful about how you correct because we don't get as many chances as men do. You're right about that. 
but you have to be tactful and you have to be respectful. And because ministry is one of those careers where you are bound to run into people again. <laughs> oh, you yeah. You can't escape, folks. You can't. You, you have to be tactful in your correction and loving. Um, and, and, and at times way more accommodating than you would typically be. But so I have more stories, but I'll leave it at those stories. Well, that's good because fresh in my mind. Yeah, those are good because I think it raises some flags. Like I think men just think they can just talk to us any old kind of way, um, particularly as one as women and two as women, you know, who are clergy. And so one <laughs> one not so long ago incident, um, this gentleman at the church, um, he says to me, um, so. You work here, so are you a member yet? And I was like, you know, you know, I was like, you know, I'm coming around. I was like, you know, um, I was like, I'm enjoying, you know, you know, the space and I'm, I'm loving it and I'm, you know, I'm coming, you know, I'm coming to it. Um, you know, cause I'm still new, right? So, um, well, at the time, you know, I was fairly new. And so I, you know, still warming up, still getting to know. He's like, so do you, do you preach? And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm a preacher. Of course I'm a preacher. He's like, oh, well, if you preach, I might just walk out because I'm not really a big fan of women preachers. And I said, okay. Um, he's like, and because you're a little young. He's like, what, how old are you? And I just said, wow. Um, I was like, okay. So uh, <laughs> my age and my gender are two reasons why you might walk out. Okay. Um, and I just said, have you ever heard any good preachers who are women? He said, no, usually when women preach, I usually just don't come to church or I just kind of go into another room. I don't really, you know, think that's what the Bible says. You know, y'all should kind of be quiet. And so I just. That's one verse of 50 million. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> it's all good. And so I just kind of just sat and I was like, all right. Um, I had two options. I could either use this as a teaching moment, which I really didn't have time to do because I had to get to where I had to go. Um, or and I could have addressed it in that moment. And so I just graciously said to him, I pray that one day your heart will, you know, be open to receiving, hearing the voice of the Lord by way of a woman. Um, and I hope that we can continue this conversation as to why you don't sit for women preachers in worship. And, um, he was open to that conversation. And so I had to think, I had to think on my feet about how can I not lose this moment to teach, um, but also give him the opportunity to, you know, have some interaction with me in terms of some space and dialogue. And I had to leave and go about my business. And so he actually sat in on a Wednesday where I was teaching. And so that was good. He uh, invited himself to, I mean, not invited because I mean, it's open to anyone, right? So he allowed himself to come and, and to, you know, sit and said, okay, well, maybe if she does good, you know, in, in midday worship, maybe I can hear her preach. But my thing is like, why do you got to put me on the judgment podium? Why do I have to be, you know, lined up against the template and a rubric against all these other male preachers? And I would like you to be here as a participant and not, channeling me as a spectator like you are the spectator and I am an event you know I don't think that's right and so even that you know just subtle showing up like let me see what she's gonna do 
I think that in of itself is sexist. Like you are measuring, you know, my abilities, capabilities, and trying to assess my call based on what you understand to be the preaching pulpit, i.e. men. And so I didn't think that was cool. <laughs> Another incident, you know, and since we were talking about relationships and whatnot, was I had a brother say to me, you know, flat out, I really like you. I really care about you, but I don't want a, a <laughs> I don't want a co-pastor. I want a first lady. You remember me telling you that, girl? I was livid. I was so upset, and I went to one of my professors' office, and I was like, "Can you believe that this brother said?" And she, she was just like, "You know, men are stupid." <laughs> She's like, they are stupid and they just don't think. And so I was so hurt. I was butt hurt, you know, because I, I felt like my call, you know, I was really insecure about it, you know, in the beginning stages is like, okay, do I live into my call? You know, because I said, I never forget, I said to my advisor, in school, you know, when I was still kind of like wrestling with it, I was like, I don't want to be a preacher. Like, that's not the sexy call, you know. Why couldn't I be a dancer or a psalmist, you know? Why couldn't I just, you know, yeah. just be a trustee at the church, you know, just give my God my life and serve, you know? Why I got to be on the front row? Why I got to sit in the pulpit? Like, you know, why I got to do that, you know? And so that was like the early stages of wrestling. Um, and so, I was so frank about that and that uh that advisor linked me with a mentor and you know who was a woman in ministry and said you know you need to have this conversation and so I mean that was years ago but um you know and I've since grown from you know since then but that's very real you know that because that young man hurt my feelings so much and made me feel insecure but you know I don't think sometimes men think about what they're saying oh here's another situation Anytime somebody calls me little girl and my name is Reverend Jesus. Okay. Can you hear the passion in my voice? Girl, you know, it frustrates me so much. And I'm not saying like, you know, call me Reverend because that's my title. I mean, yeah, I'm an associate pastor. Like, yeah, that's my name. But my thing is, I'm not throwing it around as, you know, being arrogant. But my thing is, we're not familiar. We're not close. You don't know me like that to just be calling me little girl because little girl is demeaning. I'm a grown woman. You know, and so to address me as little girl, to address me as something other than Reverend Williams, you know, especially from men, I don't take it as endearing. I don't take it as fun. I don't take it as cute. You know, some people will say, well, that's just culture. I've had people call me baby and I just didn't find it to be endearing. I'm like, would you call your senior pastor who happens to be a man baby? Would you call him, you know, little boy? I don't think so, um, because that dehumanizes him in in a lot of ways. And so don't do that to me. So um, I would just say, overall, folks just need to be more mindful and more conscious of how we're engaging in conversation with women, 
is particularly because it hurts in a lot of ways, especially in churches, but across fields, you know, and I think women are due the respect that we are due, you know, call us by our names, not out of our names. We don't find some things to be cute. We don't find it to be respectful. We find it to be quite disrespectful. Um, and we don't think y'all should be teaching us how to date either. You know, we got this. Um, and the right one at the right time will show up in season. And until then, we're going to continue to do us. And, you know, sis, bruh, whoever you are listening, at the end of the day, my prayer is that you will thrive, not just survive, but thrive for where you are. Anybody who knows me knows that I'm all about, you know, hashtag thrive and be whole. So wherever you are, whether you're in singleness or whether you are married or whether you're in dating, be whole, love yourself, love your God, you know, love your neighbor, you know, love everybody, (laughs) you know, but for real, like we just need to be more mindful in how we're engaging. And so Liz, um, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to add for the good and welfare of the people? Any last thoughts? Yeah, I I agree with everything that you said. I really want us to get to a point where we see people for who they are and we don't allow our insecurities to, we don't project our insecurities onto other people. So I feel like that's what happens so often with women in ministry. The other thing is you don't have to say everything that you think, bruh. So (laughs) even if a thought comes to your mind, You don't have to share it. While we are waiting and praying for all of our hearts to become perfected and growing in grace, some stuff you can just keep to yourself. Agreed. Agreed. My my sincere hope for, for single women and men, because there are plenty of people in the church who are waiting for a spouse, is that you would spend time getting to know God. Spend time in relationship deep relationship reading the word for yourself not for cheat codes to how to get a mate um and 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 spend the time getting to know who you are and getting to know who you are in christ um that way you're ready to be with somebody else that too yeah i'm in agreement and even as you were saying and as you were speaking i even had the thought about something that um I wrote in my journal way back, but it just came to, you know, to consciousness by way of the Holy Ghost, um, is that I used to say the prayer um, when I was struggling to learn how to be single and to be content in the season that I was in is, Lord, help me to be so content and in love with my relationship with myself and with you that I will be satisfied even if the person never comes because I don't know it may never be in the cards for me not to say that I don't believe that God doesn't hear our desires I truly believe God hears our desires but it's not up to me at the end of the day I personally that's my personal belief I do believe I have a role in the facilitation in terms of being open to receive when it comes but at the same time if that's not in the cards for me if it doesn't happen or even if it happens a lot later than what I think you know what if I don't get married till I'm like you know 60 I hope I don't have to wait that long but if I if it doesn't happen until then 
I want to be content and I want to be happy and have joy, to have peace, to have self-love, no matter what season or, uh, or position that God has me in, in that particular moment in time. And it might not be what we want all the time, but sometimes what we want ain't always what we need. And sometimes we want somebody right now, and that may not be what we need. Um, and so my prayer is that people will be content. No matter where they are in their um, in their stages and in their phases, and to and to be all right with that, um, and just to move on in good faith, you know. Hashtag Black love of all forms. I think you know all, all that good stuff, you know. Even self love. So love Thank yourself. One more thing I want to add is to read Ruth in context and let it bless you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Oh my read, gosh. Read, read the story that's actually there, not what your pastor says in there. Well, because well, Ruth is not this love story, you know, that we make it out to be. But that's another episode. And so Liz is going to come back. You know, my good friend Elizabeth Pollard is going to come back and we're going to talk about Ruth and all of its ruthlessness that they be preaching. Okay. You see what I did? there hashtag pun okay so thank y'all we appreciate you liz thanks so much for joining me on another episode of portionality podcast can't wait to hear from you when you email me directly at portionality at gmail.com with your topics and with your listener questions you can also find me on twitter and instagram at portionality And as always, peace, light, and love, and namaste to you.